I enjoy learning new things in the field of medicine. Like everything I ever learned about the Kardashians, I learned against my will. But learning medicine and particularly science in general is something I don't think will ever bore me. So it's with some excitement that we now have a therapy for heart failure with preserved ejection fractions, sometimes referred to as diastolic congestive heart failure. Yet at the same time, I know the field of medicine, and what nearly always happens in medicine is when something slightly is beneficial and we don't have better therapies, we glorify that therapy as a miracle. Some things are just taken out of context. Listen, there's also situations that can be a big misunderstanding, like the time I got kicked out of the gender reveal party for pulling down my pants. But when it comes to context and nuance, that can be particularly hard to tease out in medicine, as we've seen through this entire pandemic. Nuance is hard, and if you look purely at the headlines of the double-blind, randomized, phase 3 emperor preserve trial showing a benefit of sodium glucose transporter 2 inhibitors, we'll call them SGLT2 inhibitors, and in this trial it was specifically empagliflozin, in patients with heart failure with a preserved ejection fraction, it's fair to be a little excited, yet not overly excited. Sometimes math and statistics can damper down the excitement a little bit. So about five out of four people are bad at math. In the US population, it seems people that are great at math are becoming about as rare as gangster rappers going on to die of old age. And rest in peace, Biggie, Tupac, Pop Smoke, Juice World, Mac Miller, all of you. Just rest in peace. But to my point of many of us not being great at math and statistics, that is particularly true when we don't even glance at the numbers. And since I am bad at math, I will quote the American College of Physicians Journal Club breakdown of the Emperor Preserved trial. And what they said, so this is the quote, in Emperor Preserved, 10 milligrams of oral empagliflozin reduced the composite primary outcome of cardiovascular death or heart failure hospitalization by a relative 19% with a number needed to treat of 31. Effects were consistent in patients with and without diabetes. The benefit was mostly attributed to a 28% reduction in heart failure hospitalization. And that's the end of the quote. Basically, it reduced hospitalizations by a bit, didn't do a whole lot for keeping you from dying of preserved ejection, heart failure, and looking at those numbers, does SGLT2 inhibitor, specifically empagliflozin, though there's reason to think there's likely a class effect, and we'll get into that a little bit with systolic heart failure, do they help? Yes. Is it amazing that I have to put 31 people on the drug to get a benefit in this study? You can form your own opinion. However, my opinion is only mildly exciting, and context is everything. If you want to argue to me that you only smoke half of what you used to smoke because you had a lung removed, that's fair, but it's context. Likewise, you can say, we now have a first-line drug for heart failure with preserved ejection fraction, and you would be accurate, or at least Soon you'll be accurate. I assume the guidelines are going to make it a first-line drug. But it reminds me of so many other popular drugs throughout mass. I don't care what you take. Aricept for dementia, which we 
all these medications, we have a situation where we aren't reversing anything and we are happy for a small amount of people, we are slowing the progressive decline. And yet, on the bright side, that is no doubt a good thing for those few people deriving a benefit. And that nuance in math will get lost in rounds, in cardiology offices, in primary care offices, and I get that for me and you, we are thinking about these numbers for this trial right at this moment, but that education will fade, probably for both of us. There's too much going on in life to constantly remember it all. Here in Colorado, we believe that education is important, but skiing is importanter. In medicine as a whole, it's just a microcosm of society as a whole. As a society, we are totally committed to hiding reality from each other. Like how many thousands of alcohol advertisements have you and I seen in our lifetime? And not one, not one of those advertisements ever shows a drunk person. And likewise, medication advertisements are gonna happen for SGLT2 inhibitors and future heart failure guideline writers who are coming from a very specific standpoint, not society as a whole in terms of economics and all kinds of other factors. You're gonna have the pharmaceutical lobbying that is sure to occur with CMS and insurance companies. And I'm just saying they all have to be understood in some sort of context. Now, SGLT2 inhibitors indeed are showing that they reduce the risk of hospitalization for heart failure in patients regardless of the presence or absence of diabetes. We specifically desired more evidence in regards to the effects of these drugs in reduced ejection fraction heart failure patients because that has been the harder nut to crack. So patients with heart failure with a preserved ejection fractions, these diastolic heart failure patients, they make up more than half of all heart failure cases. And it's a dramatic understatement to say drug therapies that have improved outcomes in patients with systolic heart failure have not previously shown consistent benefit in those with diastolic heart failure. In previous trials in systolic congestive heart failure showed that various SGLT2 inhibitors, we're talking things like canagliflozin, dipagliflozin, empagliflozin, while they were initially developed to treat type 2 diabetes and still remain a therapy for type 2 diabetes, it seems as a class they have subsequently been shown to reduce cardiovascular events and also been shown to decrease the progression of renal disease in patients with type 2 diabetes or likewise in patients with heart failure with reduced ejection fraction, and that's whether they have diabetes or not in those patients. And I think it's fair to argue that diastolic heart failure, this heart failure with preserved ejection fraction, is more of a diverse disease than heart failure with reduced ejection fraction, meaning there's a huge difference, for example, between like an infiltrative etiology like amyloidosis causing preserved ejection fraction heart failure, even though that's a minority of patients with that disease, versus people that get the same disease from hypertension or coronary disease. Now, clearly there is an overlap in things like coronary artery disease, hypertension, valvular disease that cause both 
systolic and diastolic congestive heart failure. But nevertheless, the treatments for those two things, whether you had a reduced ejection fraction or a preserved ejection fraction, have shown not to overlap until now, of course, with SGLT2 inhibitors. But when we're looking at ACE inhibitors and ARBs, very important medications for systolic congestive heart failure don't seem to work for diastolic congestive heart failure. And one could argue that there were tiny signals for something like spironolactone in the top cat trial in patients with diastolic heart failure, but at best they were tiny signals and I don't think showed really any benefit. And we can go down the line with the Paragon heart failure trial, looking at Sacubitril with Valsartan, and clearly I've already done a very long podcast on how that benefits in systolic heart failure when you have a reduced ejection fraction. And that benefit was shown in the Paradigm heart failure trial, so a good drug for systolic heart failure, though I get into some nuance about that in the other podcast. But it is clear that neprilysin inhibition right now is showing much more benefit in systolic than diastolic heart failure. But rather than rehash all of it, and I think my podcast on that was in 2016, what we can see now is that using empagliflozin and probably other SGLT2 inhibitors, and this will pan out as being a true or false statement in the future, but I think as a class, probably okay to use all SGLT2 inhibitors because we know that we are severely formulary restricted at our individual hospitals and a patient's insurance company. But if you don't have those restrictions, by all means use empagliflozin. The main point being that I think we now can feel comfortable that we have data that empagliflozin does decrease the rate of recurrent hospitalizations for this very large population of people and very common reason for admission to a hospital of diastolic heart failure. And so when we see these patients with preserved ejection fraction heart failure, if it is an option from a coverage, economic, and no contraindication standpoint, meaning like if they had metabolic acidosis from one of these drugs in the past, you don't want to use it. And if you don't know what I'm talking about as far as a ketoacidosis without hyperglycemia in diabetics that these drugs can potentially cause, then you want to listen to my lecture that's entirely devoted to SGLT2 inhibitors. But nevertheless, if you can prescribe this drug to patients with preserved ejection fraction heart failure, this may be the only trial so far in my career that's slightly impressive for that patient population. Am I blown away by emperor-reduced trial? No, but at the same time, it is true that beggars can't be choosers. Indeed, let's hope that we get something better and soon for this huge patient population. But for now, this is what we got, and that's my take on it. Catch you on the next round. This is Dr. Gil Pratt.